This bonus podcast episode was recorded by students at St. Olaf College in the American Conversations Project course, led by professors Colin Wells and Eric Fuhr Slocum. Thank you to the students and professors for putting these podcasts together. Learn more about them and the project on our podcast homepage. Orange is the New Black examines the transition from a public to private prison as inmates from Litchfield are forced to move to a new private facility. Cut to prison administrators talking about how to decrease food and medical costs to increase their profits, and you have an on-screen representation of one of the major arguments against private prisons. I'm Grace Lofstrom. Join Kate Eliason, Mike Gussman, and Matthew Myers and I to explore these and other considerations to answer how private prison policy affects our modern politics in the upcoming election. As you can imagine, prisons are nothing new in the U.S. Early jails were run by local communities, but gradually, during the 19th century, as state and federal powers increased, so did their role in the penal system. Despite this, the overall prison population was very small. In fact, according to documents from the Department of Justice, the prison population first exceeded 100,000 in 1927. Furthermore, Prisons were subject to few regulations, which kept costs of incarceration low and kept prisons out of the public eye. Until 1980, the prison population gradually expanded at a rate of less than 6,000 inmates a year. Largely because of the war on drugs, the prison population increased dramatically from about 500,000 inmates in 1980 to nearly 2.5 million in 2008. Unsurprisingly, the financial costs of incarceration tripled to $80 billion in 2018. During the early part of this expansion, the Reagan administration looked for solutions to keep costs down, so they began to outsource the construction and administration of prisons to private corporations. These corporations built and administered prisons, and then the government paid them a per diem fee for each prisoner. Additionally, in recent years, private corporations are taking an increasingly large role in the administration of detention centers for illegal immigrants. Opponents of private prisons believe that they are a free market solution that reduces costs, increases accountability, and frees up federal dollars to be spent in other ways. On the other hand, critics argue that private prison companies save money by providing inhumane conditions and provide fewer opportunities for better outcomes for prisoners after they are released. Dr. Carlos Gallego, an associate professor of English at St. Olaf College, has studied and written on American culture and history for many years. He explains. Well, private prisons were created by people in power to make more money. Critics of private prisons are almost all left-leaning. According to the 2016 platform from the Democratic National Committee, the Democratic Party would like to, quote, close private prisons and detention centers as part of their criminal justice reform plan. We can see this position in Democratic candidates like Bernie Sanders, who would, quote, ban for-profit prisons and detention centers. We need to make sure that we end private ownership of prisons and detention centers. 
Similarly, Joe Biden would build off of an Obama administration policy to phase out the use of private prisons, and he would go further to eliminate the, quote, use of private facilities for any detention, including detention of undocumented immigrants. And he would ban, quote, all other methods of profiteering off of incarceration. So why do Democrats oppose private prisons so strongly? There are four key reasons. Number one, they believe that private companies are more likely to provide poor living conditions. When a prison starts to run for profit, it has to cause cut costs. Those costs are always cut at the expense of prisoners who are already being dehumanized by living in cages. And minimal safety measures in order to help cut costs. Secondly, they worry private prisons won't invest in restorative programs because they have a vested interest in increasing the incarceration rate. Third, critics say that any savings that a private company creates simply become profit for the company and won't be given back to the government, ruining the original point of private prisons. Finally, Democrats question whether private prisons are actually cheaper than public ones. In 2018, the Brookings Institute conducted a study on the Mississippi prison system. The research found that the Mississippi public prisons were $6 to $11 cheaper per capita per diem than their private counterparts. While this difference is only a few dollars, when multiplied by the total number of prisoners and the average sentence, this discrepancy becomes substantial. Though the Brookings study is just one of many that have led to a variety of conclusions about the costs of private prisons, it's also important to note that there is a demographic difference between private and public prisons. Private prisons usually house low security prisoners and some only accept inmates in good health, so they house only the lowest cost inmates. So for all of these reasons, Democrats believe that the cost of private prisons outweigh the benefits. On the other hand, the Republican Party has been a longtime champion of private prisons. In the 1980s, the Reagan administration pioneered the first large-scale use of private prisons. One reason for this was that privatizing prisons would reduce the size and the reach of the government, which is consistent with the conservative ethos. This policy was especially effective at preventing an expanding of the government because the prison population expanded in the 1980s. Secondly, Republicans generally advocate for free market, and private prisons clearly fulfill this desire. More importantly, Republicans believe that private prisons save the government money because private companies can run more efficiently. According to the Bureau of Prisons, private prisons save an average of $17 per prisoner per day compared to the government-run prisons. Many critics condemn private prisons as providing substandard living safety conditions. However, private prisons are subject to strict government regulations. Furthermore, CoreCivic, a leading private prison company, says that they submit to rigorous auditing processes of the American Corrections Association, end quote. According to CoreCivic, they offer many restorative programs concerning job readiness, substance abuse disorders, and life skills programs, end quote. In terms of policy, the Trump administration has been a boon for private prisons. After President Trump's election, the stock prices of the largest two private prisons, GEO and CoreCivic, rose 45% and 61%. Historically, private prisons have not been talked about very much on either side of the political spectrum. However, in recent years, that has been changing due to media attention and political candidates. Many students are becoming more involved in the ideas of private prisons, including Alyssa Bidwell, a religion and theater major. Um, in today's society, it's really easy to um, get wrapped up in a whole lot of issues and forget other issues that are actually really important and most people tend to look over. And a lot of times people in society don't even recognize that there are issues going on behind um, behind our prison doors because it's not spoken about a lot. It's not really um, talked about in the media as often as it should be, though that has changed in the last couple of years. And I'm just really passionate about it because I think it's something that needs to change. I think it needs to be talked about more.
A recent major change to private prison legislation was announced in August 2016. The Obama administration reported it would begin to phase out private prisons because of shortcomings in quality, safety, and rehabilitation services of private facilities. Even after this announcement, supporters of private prisons continue to strongly support them because of their potential financial advantages. In February of 2017, then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions reversed the policy and the Trump administration signed a $110 million contract to build another private facility. Private prison legislation has also changed on the state level. In 2019, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill that seeks to eliminate California's use of private prisons by 2028. This decision has been discussed since the early 2000s and was advocated by many political groups and organizations in California. However, there was a pushback from other groups who argued that while California's private prisons were more expensive than public ones, they offered better education and trade classes to inmates. Other states such as Wisconsin have tried a more moderate strategy. While Wisconsin still uses private prisons, in 2001 it banned the speculative construction of private prison, which basically means banning the building of private prisons without a government contract. The rationale behind this law is to remove the incentive to fill prisons because, in the words of a private prison company, if we build it, they will come. Obviously, we don't want people to be in prison, and a public system would work off of that foundation while a private system doesn't because they're trying to make money, so it's actually beneficial for more people to be in prison. Japan and Mexico both use private prisons. However, these systems are very different from the American private prison system and from each other. Unlike American private prisons, Japanese private prisons are built by the government but run by private companies. To minimize the cost and risk, Japan limits its private prisons to inmates who have the lowest risk of probability of being repeat offenders, guards don't carry firearms, and the system focuses on rehabilitation through work and education. Inmates are often given a cut of their wages they earn while in prison to help them transition to normal society. These private prisons are widely accepted as successful and efficient. On the other hand, Mexico's private prisons have faced public backlash for their failures. Mexico began using private prisons in the 90s to help combat overcrowding from drug offenses and undocumented immigration that put too much stress on their public prisons. Unfortunately, these private prisons have been criticized for their severe human rights violations and ineffective security programs. With these two examples of private prison systems, we can see both the shortcomings and benefits of American private prisons compared to other types around the globe. The future of private prisons is still unknown, but participation from people like you who feel strongly about private prisons will shape their future. If you feel passionately about prison reform, contact local government officials and get involved with legislation in your area by volunteering, sharing ideas, and attending local political events. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Find more bonus episodes on the same page. There are several for different issues of this election cycle from St. Olaf College students in the American Conversations Project. As always, let us know what you think at podcast.compact.org or hashtag compactnationpod and learn more about our show at compact.org slash podcast. And of course, rate us and review us anywhere you can.